Good morning, church. I'm sure you're having good conversation. Well, we've come to a time of Bible reading, and um, we are looking at uh, the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 1 to chapter 4, verse 4. Now, the book of Acts is a record of um, what the early church did, um, especially through the disciples, through, with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we look at uh, chapter 3. And let me pray before we begin. Oh Lord, we are so thankful for your word, Lord. It is a light and guide for our lives, Lord. Help us to know that this is real. Help us to know um, that uh, you love us and that uh, this is all about you rescuing us, Lord. As we come to read your word, please um, prepare our hearts for it and that uh, you would also anoint the lips of Pastor Iggy as he brings us the teaching today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, what does, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the, the, the altar of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold to the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may, spend, he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. 
anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenants God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by, by turning each one from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the, the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. And this is the word of God. Thank you, Auntie Hang Yi, for bringing us the word. Now, friends, um, I wonder what picture of Jesus you have in your heads, or as you had that discussion, uh, what do your friends say when you ask them about that? What, who do they think Jesus is? May, you know, there's a few common pictures that you might have of Jesus Christ. I did a quick Google search, this source of all knowledge, and this is uh, some of the pictures that came up of Jesus. I wonder if you resonate with these pictures. Um, this picture of Jesus... Uh, I don't know what to call this picture. This is the, I feel like it's a, the, the holy, uh, the very holy divine sort of picture of Jesus, the halo around the head, uh, very stoic, not much emotion on the face, but this holy God, Jesus. Um, maybe your picture, when you think about Jesus, you think about this, you think about the friendly Jesus holding the lamb, you know, tender and warm, um, and this is Jesus to you. Um, Maybe some of you, your picture of Jesus is this, the angry Jesus, you know, the whips in the temple, turning the tables, and um, you might think about that instead, but you might think about Jesus for your own life. You think Jesus is just out to get you, you know, he's just out to get you in trouble. Um, He's a strict Jesus. This is your picture of who Jesus is. Friends, I wonder, what is your picture of Jesus? But the big question, the more important question actually to us, is your picture of Jesus the right picture? I ask this question a lot in sermons, who do you think Jesus is, but I don't think I ask it enough, because this is the question. This is the question that changes everything. How you see Jesus Christ and how you respond to Jesus in turn after you've seen him, this is the difference for your life. It changes everything. So friends, I hope today we will be able to sit and look at Jesus and we will consider our response to him, because this really matters. Um, keep your Bibles open. Okay? We're going to be looking, going deep into the Word. You'll see the passage has a lot of connections there. Keep your minds engaged, your pens, your notes ready if you have them. It's a little bit longer today because we are seeing all the connections of the Old Testament in this passage to the New Testament. There's some vital connections here. Okay? But first, let me give you some context um, as we start. This is uh, the, in Acts 1, uh, verses 8. Um, This is the mission statement that sort of shapes everything in this book, okay? This is what Jesus says to his apostles, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is the program, you know, this is the agenda. The book of Acts is all about the gospel going out from Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. It's about the spread of the gospel, 
And last week we saw a momentous event, which is the Holy Spirit coming, coming upon the apostles. Um, They start speaking in different languages and all nations start understanding the gospel. And Peter gives his first sermon, the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' followers. And the early church, as we finish that chapter, is they're praying, they're meeting together, they're praying, they're in fellowship, there are signs and wonders amongst them. And that we pick up the story from there. And our first point is this, the sign. The narrative opens um, with two of the apostles, two of Jesus' followers, Peter and John, going to the temple in the afternoon to pray. So prayer is really important. Uh, they're going to the temple to pray. And as they go to the temple, what do they see? They see uh, there's actually a beggar at the gate of the temple. Uh, this is a good place for a beggar to be because just like we are called to generosity today, God's people back then were also called to be generous, to love the poor, the vulnerable. So this beggar is there. He's every day. He can't walk. So he's, this is how he lives. And this man, he's asking for money. He's probably, you know, he knows where he stands in society. He's probably got his head down asking for money there. But Peter and John, they look at him and they say, look at us. So the beggar raises his head, and he's expecting something. He's expecting maybe a few coins, but he gets something much better. Have a look at verse 6 with me. Acts 3, verse 6. Have a look in your Bibles. This is what Peter says. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And Peter takes this beggar by the hand, and the beggar stands up. And he walks, but he doesn't just walk. What does it say? It says he jumps, he leaps, you know, he's praising God. He jumps with joy. And of course he is, because he's never walked before in his entire life. And now he can walk. And the crowd, there's a crowd around, they they see this. They see this guy who every day they walk past, lame, sitting on the ground, unable to move. And he's walking around, healed, restored. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. That's what verse 10 says. And I'm sure we would feel the same way, wouldn't we? This is a mind-blowing event. It defies all science. Imagine within our midst someone who could not walk for their entire life. All of a sudden, they are healed. They can walk. They're restored. They're whole. This would be something that would be going up on all of our Instagram stories. This would be all over social medias. We'd be telling all of our friends It'll be going viral, definitely, this, this case, this miraculous event. Because it's amazing. This shouldn't be happening. This is something special. Now let me pause here and ask, what are we supposed to learn from this account? Is it this, that, is it that we have the power to do this and we are called to do this? That we are called to heal in miraculous ways too? If we just proclaimed in the name of Jesus and had enough faith, we could do anything. Is this why this story is here? It sounds appealing. It sounds like something, you know, we we would want. Of course, who wouldn't want that power? But friends, remember, that's not the point of Acts. This is describing what has happened already. It's an account of a particular special moment in history, the birth of the church and the spread of the gospel. And these signs and wonders, they signify something special is happening in salvation history. This is not every day. This is something new. This is something incredible. This is momentous. And what's happening, because what's happening isn't simply miraculous healing. No, 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 it's more than that. This is a symbol 
of something much more. Friends, let me ask you a question. When you think about it, you know, sickness in this world, do do you know why sickness is here in this world? Sickness is only here in this world because of sin. A man who is lame from birth, the serious diagnosis from your doctor that he gives you, even the flu that you caught last week, it's because of sin. Not because of your sin personally, that you're more sinful than someone else and God wants to punish you for that, but because sin has entered our world and corrupted our world and broken our world and things are not working the way they should. That's why our bodies break down. Every time we encounter sickness, it should remind us that things are not as they should be. Something is wrong here. But as Jesus comes, do you realize what he does as a huge part of his ministry? He heals. And when he heals, he's declaring that I'm rolling back the impact of sin. I'm doing away with this impact of sin. I'm restoring things back to the way they should be. That's what Jesus is signifying as he heals. This miraculous healing that Jesus brings in, the apostle Peter continuing by the power of Jesus to heal, it's declaring something, that sin will not win. Salvation is here. Salvation is here. Let me read to you from the prophet Isaiah, written centuries before, telling of this day of salvation and how healing fits into there. So it's coming up on the screen. Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 6. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Friends, as blind people see, as deaf people hear, as mute people shout for joy, as lame people leap like deer, praising God, as these events happen, it's shouting something. It's shouting out, look, look, the time of salvation is here right now. What Peter gives this man isn't simply healing. It's a new life. This is a symbol of salvation. It's a reminder, too, that even as Jesus has returned to heaven, that he hasn't disappeared, has he? He's still working. He's active through his Holy Spirit-empowered apostles. He isn't finished yet. And this is what Peter brings out in his speech. I loved uh, Isaac, who came to serve us last week in the Word. I loved his analogy of a post-game analysis of an event happening and then, you know, the apostles analyzing it, explaining what happened there. Peter gives... Uh, gave his first sermon explaining the Holy Spirit coming and the speaking in uh, different languages and tongues, and now he's doing it again, explaining this miraculous sign. And here's how his sermon starts. Have a look at verse 2 with me. Chapter 3, verse 2. It says this. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Let me pause here and just have a look at this. Did you notice what's happening here? Understandably, this whole crowd is looking at the apostles there saying, man, look at these guys. Look at this power. And the apostles, they could easily lap up the glory, right? They could elevate themselves. They could soak in that affirmation. But they say, why are you looking at us? 
It wasn't us. We are just here to point you to someone greater. Don't look at us. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And the rest of the sermon is all about this. The rest of the sermon that Peter gives isn't about the apostles or the healing, really. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. All about Jesus. Let me run through you quickly um, a few of the things that it says about Jesus here. Have a look in your Bibles with me. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And what Peter's saying here is, Jesus is the glorified servant of the God of Israel. Jesus is the one the Jews have been waiting for. This is an allusion to the long-awaited prophecy in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant who will come to save his people. In verse 14, have a look at verse 14. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. Here's another aspect of who Jesus is. Look at him. He's the holy and righteous one. Jesus was perfect, without blemish, morally pure like no one else, the only one who fulfills this criteria. Verse 15, read with me. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Here's another aspect. Look at Jesus. He's the author of life. What a huge term that is. Think about that. The author of life. Jesus writes life. He gives life. He was there at the beginning. He creates life. This is who Jesus is. Verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and that and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. It is faith in the name of Jesus which heals. Jesus is the one whose name has power. He's brought about the healing. Peter is saying this, don't look at us. Stop looking at us. Look at Jesus. Look at him. Jesus' name is where the power is. All of this stuff about Jesus, it's all what Peter's declaring because he wants us to look at Jesus. You see, the apostle Peter, he knows he's just a giant finger. Sounds a bit funny, I know. But what I mean is that his sole purpose is to point to Jesus. Every time someone looks at him, he's saying, stop looking at me. Look at Jesus. Every time someone acknowledges, tries to praise him for what he's saying, don't, don't do that. Look at Jesus. It's not me. It's Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. I wonder, are we giant fingers? Do people look at us and are they pointed towards Jesus Christ? Peter is saying, look at Jesus, my fellow Israelites. Look at who he is. Behold him and realize this. He's speaking particularly to the Jewish crowd around him. He says, look at Jesus and realize this. You killed him. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. What an irony. You killed the author of life. And Peter here, you, you notice in his sermon, he isn't afraid to confront his fellow Jews. This is a very uncomfortable sermon to be giving to these people. He's calling out their sin right to their face, but he does it with a purpose. Because he wants them to be convicted about what they have done. They've done the most serious thing of all history. They killed the Son of God. This is serious. 
But Peter wants them to know something. If you look at Jesus and you repent, then there is hope. There is hope. We're at point two. The one the sign is pointing to. Now let's have a look at verse 17 with me. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying this, that his Messiah would suffer. And Peter starts like this because he wants the Israelites to know something, that even as they committed this terrible sin of killing Jesus, the Messiah, that this was not out of God's hand. This is part of God's plan. And what this means is that all this stuff that is happening, the death of Jesus, the resurrection, the ascension, the sending of the Holy Spirit, it, it isn't an accident. This is God's plan foretold by the prophets many centuries ago. That's what Peter's saying, foretold by the prophets. Now, some of you might be uh, new to this whole Christian church thing. You might not know who the prophets are. They were the messengers from God that he sent throughout the history of his people to guide them. And particularly, the prophets told of a day where God would save his people forever, bring that final salvation, restore them to glory by sending a saviour. This is what the Jews have been waiting for, for centuries. And Peter is declaring this. You don't have to wait anymore. The time is now. In fact, 11 times in this passage, Peter mentions prophets, Fulfillment, covenant, did you notice that? All terms that mean that the Old Testament promises, they're coming to pass right now. Peter points this out specifically because this crowd of his, this Jewish crowd, this is what they shaped their whole life around. For generations and generations, they were just waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering, when is all this stuff going to come true? When are we going to be saved? When is the King coming that was promised to save us? And Peter is saying this, stop waiting, it's here. It's like... um. You know when you watch a movie trailer, right? And they give you like these bits and pieces and you get excited. Oh, what's this movie going to... Well, not all of them. Some movie trailers are terrible, but usually they're great. They give you these little highlights, these little tastes of what's to come. And they le- usually leave you hanging a bit, like what's going to actually happen? Who's, who's going to be this mysterious character that comes? Or, you know, it builds anticipation. And there is, for the Israelites, they've been, it's like they've been watching the trailer over and over. They're getting more and more bits of the puzzle, They're building anticipation. They want to see what's happening. And now, Peter's saying, you don't have to wait anymore. Stop watching the trailer. Look at the real thing. He's here. It's all about Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And let me draw out two elements of who Jesus is from this passage that um, Peter really digs into. The first is this. If you can click the next one for me, Gary. Sorry. He's the ultimate prophet. Have a look at verse 22. Verse 22. Read with me. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Now, this is a quote from Deuteronomy 18 from Moses the prophet that led God's people out of slavery, the prophet that God gave the Ten Commandments to at Mount Sinai, the prophet that actually he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. People often argue um, in sports, in the sports world, who's the greatest of all time. You know, they got this debate, who's 
who's the GOAT? That's what they say, the GOAT. Is it LeBron James or is it Michael Jordan, you know? Um, well, there's no argument with Moses. Moses is the greatest of all time prophet. He is the GOAT. I think I got a picture of him, yeah? Look at him, the GOAT. He can part the sea. You know, this is the prophet that God has blessed with all power. The entire nation of Israel upheld him as that. But even Moses, the greatest of all time, do you know what he's saying? He's saying, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's saying, I'm just a shadow of the real deal. God will raise up for you a prophet like me in the future. And his words carry ultimate authority. Ultimate authority. Verse 22 says, you must listen to everything he tells you. Verse 23 says, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Look at Jesus, the ultimate prophet. His words hold absolute authority. Um, I sometimes wonder about the authority of my words, especially when it comes to my children. Um, I think they have selective hearing. Parents, you might resonate with this. If I tell them to clean up their toys, then there's no response. But if I say, hey, come to the table for some ice cream, whoa, there's a response. Then my words have authority. Or maybe it's not authority. Maybe it's something else. I question the authority of my words. I know that they're not absolute. But Jesus' words are different. They have absolute authority. We don't pick and choose. We are called to listen and obey because he is the prophet and his words matter. I wonder what our response is as we come to the words of Jesus Christ. Are we selective in the things that we want to obey and the things that we don't want to obey? I'm happy when it comes to Jesus' words about loving your neighbor. Of course, of course, love my neighbor. But Jesus, when he starts talking about sexuality, when he starts talking about Hell and judgment. Jesus, I'm not so sure about those words. I might leave those ones out. I'll take a pass on this. Friends, the call here is total obedience to Jesus Christ. Total obedience. Because he's the prophet with all authority. And a shocking warning is given in verse 23. Have a look at verse 23 with me. Anyone who doesn't listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. The Old Testament context of this gives even more weight, that if you're cut off from God's people, no chance. There's no salvation. You had to be part of God's special people, and the warning is clear for us today as well. Your response to Jesus and his word determines where you stand with God at the end. It determines whether you are in or whether you are out. And this is a weighty truth. This isn't a feel-good, doesn't matter what you do, you do you sort of message. This message is you need to respond to Jesus because it has consequences, your decision. So we need to reflect. Are we responding rightly to Jesus Christ? But to respond rightly, we need to look at him first. Look at him. And as we do, we continue to look at him and we see he's also the ultimate offspring of Abraham. Have a look at verse 25 with me. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. 
The word covenant here, I'm not sure if everyone knows what that means. It, it means a special promise between God and his people. And here Peter's highlighting one of the most significant times in history where God gave a promise to Abraham, the founding father of the nation of Israel. This passage, um, let me just say this passage uh, in Genesis 12 I'm about to put up on the screen, it should be something that every single person in this church knows. It's vital to understanding the Bible. It unlocks the Bible because this passage sets the program for everything to come after this. So Genesis 12, verses 2 to 3 as God speaks to Abraham. He makes this covenant promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Friends, here's God's plan to bless the world. That just adds more drama to the moment. (laughs) God's plan to bless the world. And he's going to do that through a special people. God's plan is to bless a special people. The nation of Israel, Abraham's offspring, that's how they're described here. Abraham was the father of Israel. So that they could be a blessing to the whole world. But here's the issue. Israel couldn't do it. They kept disobeying. They weren't a blessing to the world. They kept failing over and over and over again. They didn't even follow God half the time. They were following other gods. How could they be a blessing to the world? But God always had a bigger plan. Have a look at verse 25 in your Bibles with me. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The offspring of Abraham, this is what it's saying here, the offspring of Abraham, Israel, they failed to bless the world. But the ultimate offspring, Jesus, did not. He succeeded because he obeyed God. He did what God wanted him to do. And through his death and resurrection and ascension, he brings blessing to the whole world. This is God's plan. It's always been God's plan. It's all about Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Every time you come to the Old Testament, it's screaming to us, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, and see, particularly here, that he comes to bless. That's why God has sent him, to bless. I wonder if if that's how you see Jesus, by the way. Let me just pause there. How do you see Jesus? Do you think his mission is to come to get you in trouble? Do you think Jesus has come as Lord and King to tell you off as much as possible and make you feel bad, to condemn you? Of course we see that there's consequences to how you respond to Jesus. If you don't respond to him, you will be cut off. That's what it says before. That's not, but that's not why he's come. His mission is to bless. His mission is to bless. This is God's plan. He died so that we could be blessed. If you want to be blessed... Come to Jesus. Let me tell you how good this blessing is, and this is our final point, the blessing. Peter's sermon here is declaring, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, but don't just look at him, look at him and respond. Let me take you back to verse 18. Have a look at verse 18 with me. 
But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that the Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. And the Apostle Peter saying this, God's big salvation plan is being fulfilled right now. That's what the Holy Spirit coming is all about. That's what this lame man walking is all about. That's what the suffering, death, and resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus, is all about. Look at him. See, he's the ultimate prophet, the offspring of Abraham. See who Jesus is. And if this is true, if you really see who Jesus is, you understand the weight of who Jesus is, you cannot sit around and do nothing. You can't not respond. If this news is true, that Jesus is the Messiah that the whole world has been waiting for and that he brings blessing to all who come to him, if that's true, you can't do nothing. That's what Peter's trying to say. You must respond. And his call is this, repent then and turn to God. Repent then and turn to God. Repentance is making a U-turn It's turning away from your selfish ways, your sinful desires, and then turning to God. It's a complete reorientation of your life. And here's the blessing that is promised. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. I love this line because if you look at the context and you just realize what's happening here, do you realize what's happening here? Jesus is talking to the people who literally killed... um, Sorry, Peter's talking to the people that literally killed Jesus. He's talking to people who crucified the Messiah, who killed the Son of God. And do you see what he's saying to them? If you repent, you'll be forgiven. This reminds me that no sin is too big for God. No sin. When you repent, your promise is that your sins will be wiped out no matter what you have done. There's no fine print here. You will be made clean. I'm a little bit of a nerd, and one thing that I really enjoy, I don't know if you guys know this, um, resonate with me, is um, cleaning a whiteboard. You guys enjoy that? That feeling of cleaning it off so it's nice and pristine and white and brand new. I love getting a wet wipe, some special cleaner, and just making it new, ready to start my next training session with the team. The promise of Jesus is that if you turn to him, you will be made new. Every blemish will be wiped out. Brand new so that God can begin writing a new story for you, for your life. You might be here and you're thinking, Iggy, that sounds good, but you don't know me, and you don't know what I've done, but you don't know the things that I think, or the things in my heart every day, the evil thoughts that I have. You'd be disgusted. God won't forgive me. Well, you're wrong. He will. No sin is too big for him. His salvation is bigger. He's paid for these sins already. On the cross, Jesus has died in your place to take every single one of these sins. He even offers forgiveness to those who murdered him. Why wouldn't he forgive you? All it takes is one step. To humble yourself. To say to God, I'm sorry. And to turn to him. 
You don't need to reach a certain level of holiness before you repent. That's what I find a lot of people are struggling with. I'm not good enough to come to God. No, no. God wants you to come just as you are right now. And your sins will be wiped out. That's the blessing. And there's even more blessing here. Verse 19. Have a look at verse 19 with me. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. The ESV puts it like this. I really like it. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here's the second part of the blessing. You get forgiveness, but you also get refreshment. Isn't that a lovely word? Refreshment. A lovely word for those of us who are feeling anxious, tired, worn out, hurried. God is promising refreshment. When you repent, you get refreshment. Why? Because really repentance is coming back into relationship. It's about relationship. You know that there's some people, um, there's two types of people uh, in your friendship groups or in your acquaintance groups, those who really drain you when you have a conversation with them. Um, you know, the ones that when you, you might have been talking for five minutes, but it feels like five hours. But then there's ones that you love being around and their presence just refreshes you, re-energizes you. You can be spending five hours together and it feels like five minutes because you're laughing, you're enjoying, you're being refreshed by that relationship. Those good friends that God blesses us with. I think refreshment like that is a small picture of our, what we get from God. The one we were made to be in relationship with, to find rest in. Spending time in the presence of God. We did a whole series on this earlier this year. That's what we were made for. That's the only place we will find real refreshment as we are restored back to being the true humans we are supposed to be. Connected to God. In relationship with God. Refreshment. Both here and now, but also in the future. That's a final blessing. Have a look at verse 19 with me again. That he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus has lived, has come, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again to kick off the age of salvation. And he has ascended into heaven. He's there now. But God has promised this. He will return. He will return. The fullness of God's salvation, we're going to see that in the future. It's going to come. It's not here yet. That's what we need to know. It's not here yet. Which is why we still have to deal with sickness. Which is why death still faces us which is why we can't declare everything and expect miracles all the time because it's why we still have to struggle with sin because there's still more to come. There is a day coming where God will restore everything. It's not yet, but it will come. So we wait. But we wait with hope. Hoping for the fullness of our blessings to be realized, to be in God's presence, to see Him face to face, to see a reality of no more suffering, no more pain, no more death, no more tears, to find refreshment. That's what's waiting for us, friends. All you need to do is to look at Jesus and repent. This offer of salvation is for everyone. In fact, it's for the whole world. That's what the whole point of the book of Acts is. A blessing for the whole world. It's for us today, right here in this room. The call is 
Repent and turn to Jesus. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Friends, as we come to a close today, all I'm going to ask you is to look at Jesus. And I'm going to give you a chance to repent today. Maybe God's working in your heart today. Maybe you've been wondering. Maybe you've been thinking. Maybe you're just on the the edge of actually wanting to turn to God and something's stopping you. But maybe he's convicting you that today's the day that you can come to him and actually have blessing and blessing forever. I'm going to pray a prayer now. I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. This is a prayer. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray this prayer. And I'm going to ask you to repeat quietly in the silence of your own heart if you'd like to repent today, having seen who Jesus is and the wonderful blessing that he offers. Let me pray and pray with me in the quietness of your heart. If you'd like to respond, let me pray. Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I'm sorry and I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me so that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen. Friends, if you've prayed that prayer today, then the angels in heaven are rejoicing. I want to welcome you to the family. I would love for you to talk to me. I'd love for you to put down the Connect card so we can help you take the next steps uh, with us today. Friends, keep looking at Jesus. Respond to him, for he deserves the glory.